Hello and welcome to the comeback, the post-All-Star episode of Raptors Reasonablest. I'm Eric Corrine. My guest is not Blake Murphy because he is off in parts unknown on vacation. I'm not going to fill in the blanks. But we have a wonderful guest host uh, here to take his place. Uh, he is a writer all over the internet, including Yahoo, GQ, and the New York Times, which is not only on the internet, I suppose. The co-host of the Run It Back podcast, the predictor of win streaks, the chief propagandist for Matt Thomas, uh, and many other things. He's a multi-hyphenate, I guess. Alex Wong, how you doing, man? Good, how are you? Do you have these intros for everyone? Uh, no, because it's usually usually just Blake and Blake and myself. Um, I should have made it rhyme, obviously, like like Common did. This was an error on my part, but uh, we're just going to go through it because uh, it seems like those took quite a bit of effort for Common. Or do you think he wrote his own rhymes? Yeah, so I was, I was actually. I think he wrote his own rhymes. It was funny where I was sitting at the All Star game. I could see him reading off the prompter. Yeah. So it was just really fun seeing all the rhymes that he had come up with. Um yeah. no, it was a it was a it was a memorable performance and now it's a meme that'll live on. Yeah, it's just you know, I wonder <laughs> if it's like a comedian, like a late night show host thing where somebody wrote his own jokes. Like does somebody I I, I mean I know this is fodder, feud fodder in the in the hip hop community. So I, I'm guessing that the low like these weren't very the degree of difficulty on the rhymes were not high in general you just had to make one line rhyme for each player but there were some stretches there did you have a favorite one that you can recall um i thought the lebron one was pretty good i don't even remember what he did for kyle to be honest um was I there think anything proudly like uh, was it proudly Kyle Lowry? I forget how it it rhymed. It's like he represents like Toronto proudly or something. Uh, I mean, those words don't really rhyme, but sometimes you have to fudge it a little bit, I suppose. Uh, Alex was at the All Star Game in Chicago uh, over this weekend, and there were you know sort of one bad controversy: the dunk contest. One. I don't think you can call it a good contra like there's no not a controversy but the the new format of the game uh, was certainly a positive from the weekend. Before we get into that, were people complaining about the weather as much in Chicago as they were in Toronto in 2016? You know what they weren't and I was a little bit upset about it because of course like you know and I think a lot of listeners know, you know, that was literally the the, the main talking point when all-star weekend came to toronto and to be fair it was i think it was freezing if i'm wrong it was like a record low for that 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 february weekend right and yeah it was historically um, cold it was not yeah it was it was historically cold uh, but you know it wasn't historically cold in chicago but it was you know unbearable to be outside um at least on the friday and parts of saturday and you know i was telling any media person that i saw that you have to bring the same energy about this cold weather and complain about it to the same extent as you guys did in Toronto. But I don't think anyone listened to me. Like I saw Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press uh, release an apology on Twitter and to Toronto and, and <laughs> requesting that people send mittens to him. That's, That's the amazing. only one I saw. There certainly weren't people 
saying, how could the Bulls ever attract free agents? It's so cold this one weekend. Um, yeah, it's it's so cold and your organization has been a mess for 20 years, you know? Yeah, but as uh, John Greenberg wrote at The Athletic, Adrian Griffin will change it all when he becomes the next head coach of the Toronto Raptors, or the Chicago Bulls. Currently, one of your lead assistant coaches for the Toronto Raptors, who was also an assistant coach for Team Giannis in the fascinating All-Star game on Sunday night. Uh, in which Team LeBron beat uh, Team Giannis by, I don't even know what the final score was. This is 157 to 155. But the uh, the highlight, of course, was the uh, the ending, what's called the Elam ending. Uh, do you know what the guy's first name is? I just keep on thinking of the former football place kicker, Jason Elam. <laughs> I'm going to say it's, I'm going to say it's Nick and I'm going to look at that up right now. Yeah, okay. Well, you look it up. I'm going to fill. Um, so Team LeBron wins 157 to 155, and they used the Elam ending, which uh, is essentially after the third quarter, you get rid of the game clock and just make a final points target. Uh, so you add a target, uh, a, you know, a reasonable score to the team that is winning. And because of, you know, this game was largely, uh, in memory of Kobe Bryant, they added 24 points uh, to to the uh, score for Team Giannis after three quarters, which made the target score 157. And on the strength of a untimed 33 to 22 fourth quarter, uh, LeBron the team Team LeBron wins out, which was the team without Nick Nurse and coaching staff the team without Kyle Lowry, and the team without Pascal Siakam, more or less the Western Conference All-Stars <laughs> winning. <laughs> uh, I mean, you were there. Uh, to my eyes, you know, it didn't look like crisp basketball, but it was certainly super high-end, intense basketball. What was it like for you in the arena? Yeah, I don't I, I don't remember a single thing about the first three quarters of that game. Um, the first three quarters was just like, any other all-star game experience that I'm sure you've been at, um, you know, it's a glorified exhibition game with the best players in the world. Um, the fourth quarter, once the score got tied and the two teams were approaching the 150s, and you could tell that this was going to come down to like a final possession ending. And especially when I think Team LeBron was within three points. Yeah. And at one point, I think LeBron took this like ridiculous three-point shot. Um, and all the possessions just started to feel... Like, you know, there was the intensity, but also, like you mentioned, it was like really sloppy basketball being played. I think guys just didn't know what was going on. And um, it was it was a different level of intensity. And I've seen it being compared to like, oh, it's like a Team USA scrimmage and things like that. For me, it really felt like a um, like the best pickup game. You're watching the best pickup game in the world. And, you know, the fans were on their feet for for every possession and, you know, every single pass, turnover, basket, all of that counted. Um, huge fan, huge fan of the Elam ending. Honestly, um, I came away thinking that that's how all basketball games should end. Uh, well, I heard this on a, another podcast on the Ringer Network, I believe it was, but the point was made that if you're starting the NBA from scratch, uh, you would never, like if you had the Elam ending already, you would not change it to a timed ending to ramp up the, uh, the drama of the fourth quarter. You wouldn't like turn it into this thing where it made sense to commit all these fouls just to extend your window of winning. Um, so I think it is the more certainly on on average the more 
exciting one. The the flip side, of course, being it wouldn't have mattered at all if Team Giannis was up by 25 points versus 11 or 9 points, I believe it was, um, in the heading into that fourth quarter. Uh, so you certainly did need the the situation to play itself correctly uh, and further to be a realistic comeback attempt. But once we saw it, I, I mean, are you left with with thinking, where are we going to see this next? It almost, like, I, I doubt it's thrown into NBA regular season games anytime soon. But, like, in my mind, like, are we seeing that at Summer League this year? Are we seeing it, like, in an in-season tournament, if that happens? Yeah, so I did confirm it's Nick, Nick Elam. He was Very um, good. He was on he was on a low post talking about this yesterday. And and the thing he was talking about, I think the league flew him into Chicago, so he had a chance to watch the game, all of that stuff. But what he's pushing for is to really get a seat at the table with the guys who are making the decisions at the NBA league office. And, you know, there's I mean, I, I would love to see this in the summer league, um, in the G League. And in all the other kind of different basketball formats, um, you know, the big three, I think, has a similar thing, but they work towards just an overall target score. Um, and you're right. You're right. Like the, the scenario had to play out exactly as it did for it to, to create that kind of drama. But I think, I mean, if a team is blowing out the other team yeah. and, and you do the Elam ending, then the game just ends naturally as it is as a blowout. Whereas I, I think the upside is that it just eliminates like all the tackiness of of the end of games right like yeah. we all complain about the timeouts and all of that stuff once you remove the clock and you're just playing towards a target score um i think it just creates so much different scenarios and the way i'm thinking about too because nick was on the podcast with zach talking about how he's tracked some stats obviously the sample sizes are still really low but the 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 one thing is that i'd love to see the stats and the strategies and and the you know the analysis that'll come from writers like yourself and other people that come out of it like what's the strategy when you're trailing and the other team is going for the winning basket do you foul so then they don't get a chance to shoot that game-winning three-pointer. So you extend the game and get another possession. It just opens up all these new possibilities. Just That just feels like it's so much more refreshing than a lot of the endings that we see in NBA games now. Yeah, and I mean, it was kind of amazing just to see both coaches in an All-Star game mostly just ride the same five players <laughs> like for the entire fourth quarter. I think there might have been some subs early on, but Yeah, yeah, like, that that, that was a problem. That was a problem because the the actual like real time of the fourth quarter. I I don't know how long it was, but it was really long, right? Um I think it it was actually now the nba.com box score is a bit wonky here it says 12 minutes and two seconds of running time but it, it doesn't like the numbers don't add up so i'm not sure if we can trust that or not not of running time of proper in ball uh, yeah that, ball that, that's, play time. that's the uh, one thing i think would be a problem like like you were saying i don't think there was a lot of substitutions like you would run into a problem in playing close games of your of your top guys playing like potentially 50 minutes right yeah, you'd have to like factor that in earlier and maybe, you know, Kyle Lowry isn't playing 30 of the first 36 minutes in that case, you know, like maybe you make sure he he maxes out at 26 of the first 36 minutes. Um it, it would ch it would change the the math on everything basically because, you know, going from fixed time to fixed score is it, it, it's a massive massive change. Um I do want to ask how, you know, as 
as a part-time Raptors propagandist, I, I know you specialize in, in Matt Thomas, but you know, you do you do throw some things out there on Twitter. How shaken, how shook were you with the fourth quarter offense as led by coach Nick Nurse with Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, and Giannis Antetokounmpo out there? Uh, the, the, for the, often, the East shot four for 15, not the East, sorry. The, uh, the Team Giannis... Yeah. Shot five for 19 from the field in that fourth quarter. One for seven from three. Seven turnovers to one Goodness. assist. Are, are you shaken? Is is the Giannis dream <laughs> in 2021 dead? No, no, nothing. Nothing a, a training camp in, say, Halifax uh, won't fix um, <laughs> um, for those guys. I honestly did not. I did not check those stats after. You know, obviously, just watching the game, you could tell that it was really sloppy. But I did not know the stats were that bad. It was in, all Kemba Walker's fault. Let's just blame it on him. I, no, I seriously, it was all. It, it was all Kemba. Kemba was clearly the weak link, um, and I think he should deserve uh, more more of the ire of the internet than than Kyle Lowry. People seem to have issues with with Kyle trying too hard. Yeah, Kemba <laughs> took 9 of the 19 shots that the East took. So I think if if Giannis is going to get mad at Nick Nurse for something, it's not finding a way to get, you know, the best player the ball more often. But maybe that's just because Giannis is too passive. We can we can spin this back in in a million different ways. Uh we will get to Kyle in, in a in a little bit, but just in general, this ending really did allow for Kyle Lowry and Nick Nurse, both like, you know, Kyle Lowry's known for being essentially a tryhard who exploits <laughs> the the crevices of a game. He's not, you know, the the big box, you know, by the status of, by, by the relative status of all-stars, he's not the, I'm going to fill up the stat sheet and drop 35 points a game and, you know, 35, 15 and 10 guy. Um, but because of this ending, he certainly was allowed to uh, impact the game in different ways. And b- because of how competitive it was, Nick Nurse was able to, you know, drop some ATOs and use, you know, we did see some zone defenses. I'm not quite sure if it was a box and one or just a normal 2-2-1 or a 2-3 or whatever. But how cool was it to see them actually get to do the things they're known for in an all-star game setting? Yeah, so... It was super cool just because, well, unfortunately, I believe Kyle's now 0-6 in all-star games. He is. Um, I I wrote about this. I was ranking all the Raptors all-star performances. (laughs) Uh, So like in the game, but also the rookie games and the skills competition and the three-point contest. Kyle is an awful all-star. Um, yes, so so you having written about this uh, just recently, so this will be yeah. fresh on your mind. Like yeah. all I remember, and all I think a lot of us remember about Kyle is just how disastrous his three point shootout appearances have been. Yeah, they got, um, they got increasingly disastrous. <laughs> Uh, yeah. He went he went from fifteen to nine to eleven, I think. So that's not ex- like completely true, but like, why do you do the third one after you've gone fifteen to nine? It makes no sense. Anyway. Yeah, I, I believe the only highlight before this All Star game was I think Kyle dunked in one of the games. Yes, yes. Um, this, somebody on the internet did point this out to me when I ranked him so lowly. <laughs> There's always someone. Um, yeah. I, and I, that's literally the only thing I remember about Kyle's All Star resume coming into this game so for him to have those huge moments the charges and you know unfortunately he got switched on anthony davis and what are you going to do but grab his arm at the end but you know just the overall performance um was great and and nick nurse i think found himself um in the all-star game at the perfect time you know this was 
probably a, a game, an all-star game for the first time that demanded a coach um, who, who you know, likes to be creative and likes to try hard. And, you know, obviously he didn't make a lot of subs in, in the fourth quarter, but he ran a different starting lineup out there in the second half, um, just like he would do in a regular game. So I thought it was cool. I, th- I thought it was cool to see um, the Raptors not just get three guys there, um, with Kyle Pascal and Nick, but but they were well represented and they were at on the center stage at the end of the game. Uh, you touched on this earlier. Um, I, I wrote the day that Kyle was named an All Star for the sixth team uh, for the sixth time. I wrote a piece on on you know why this six time All Star isn't sort of universally beloved beyond Toronto and Raptors Twitter and all that. And one of the things that you know. A lot of people point out who aren't Lowry fans are his perceived flopping and complaining to the refs. Uh, whether you think he was flopping or not, he certainly was complaining a lot, sometimes successfully, um, to the refs. <laughs> but both of those were on full display. And yet I would argue that you needed that level of competitive energy to make this ending really work. Like, like it, he was maybe the player, I don't know if it's fair to say most responsible for for making the the nature of that ending work, but he was like, he, him like getting up into James Harden to the point where he might have to push off is a big reason why the style of play that we saw took place. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, demand that the All-Star game be a game where the players try hard, yeah. but the moment that it actually happened, then they want still they want the highlights from the superstars and they don't want a guy like Kyle like getting in the way of yeah. that which you know doesn't make sense to me and and listen you know there's obviously bias just from watching Kyle so closely for for so many years but i don't think anything that he does in terms of like the incessant complaining and all of this other stuff um the flopping that people want to say i don't think it's really any different from a lot of what other guys do yeah yeah, um, like, as some, it's not. I think, it's not like it's his own brand of of basketball that's unique to Kyle. Yeah, it's like you know. I think Jack Armstrong pointed out, like we're gonna ding Kyle Lowry on that, but we're, you know, you're not gonna have the same bias toward James Harden on you know the other end of the floor. Like it's a different sort of quote unquote flopping, but it's flopping nonetheless, right? And it's always it's always in the name of competitiveness and and. Your what you said is perfect. Like they people want a game that is that competitive, but they want it in a certain style. And this wasn't that. And I like this was not a bunch of all stars doing amazing things. Like I don't think if we sat here we could say, oh, remember when that guy made that move? Like I, I remember sort of Joel Embiid's turnaround over LeBron. And then Kawhi got to the mid-range for like an 18-footer. I don't remember a bunch of like other baskets down the stretch that were really like the best play was probably Giannis's dunk or block that was called goaltending originally mm-hmm. on LeBron, like in terms of a highlight. And yet the game as a whole was pretty damn cool. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if this is propaganda or truth, um, but I wasn't really looking at the timeline on, on Twitter during the yeah. fourth quarter and then. You know, for me, when I was watching the fourth quarter, the thing about Kyle for me was, wow, these are the best players in the world right now on the floor and in the most competitive environment. And Kyle Lowry is standing out as one of the yeah. best players. That was yeah, what I, I saw. 
Yeah, like that's not to say he was the best player or the most mm-hmm. important player, but he was certainly standing out in his uh, own way and, and right. in a positive way. Um, so that brings you know you mentioned this to me earlier. Um, Raptors fans are really bothered, and I think with some good reason uh, when the whole basketball community just can't accept uh, Kyle Lowry, the greatest Raptor ever. Most people uh, tend to agree as a great in this league. Do you think, I mean, do you think that's true? And do you think, you know, a large portion of this fan base can ever move past that? Yeah. So, you know, I I think that's just what Kyle's legacy is going to be, you know, especially now that he's won a championship and and did what he did in the all-star game. And he won the championship by having huge moments himself um, that, you know, if he's not going to get the respect, I think from the, from the other people who might not watch him closely, it's just not going to happen. But, you know, every generation has to have a few of those, you know, uh, overlooked or underappreciated players. And and I don't think Kyle will have a problem with that, considering all the money he's made. He's got the championship, the six All-Stars. Um, in terms of Toronto fans and just the reaction, you know, I get it. But, you know, I've, you know, I've written about this before, too. But there's just I think that inferiority complex or whatever that is, it's it's just always going to be there just because like no amount of attention that people are going to pay to the Raptors will ever be enough. Um, because I think there's just unrealistic expectations that, hey, if the Raptors are on a 15-game win streak or if they have Kawhi Leonard or if they're winning the championship, they should be leading SportsCenter in the jump every day, just like how everyone talks about the Lakers every day. And that's just never going to happen. So um, I guess my answer is I don't think anything's going to change. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would say I'd like to see an alternate timeline where Kawhi stays and the Raptors are on, you know, TNT every other Thursday, uh, like what that would look like. But that's sort of my gut feeling too, is that, uh, it's not going anywhere. And you know what? It's, it's true. Kyle Lowry should be more appreciated around the league. Like he's, you know, almost every advanced statistic backs up his impact. And uh, it's just, it's to that point where if you're a Raptors fan, you watch him so much that it feels like people who watch casually are watching a different sport when they complain about what Kyle Lowry does out there. Yeah, I, and you know the the most ridiculous thing I think I heard was like people were upset that that Nick played Kyle over Trey Young in the fourth quarter. And I'm I'm listen, man. If it was just a regular All Star game, I totally get it. But if yeah. you're playing to win, you have Kyle out there. Yeah, I think like the person who can make a case is like maybe Jimmy Butler should have been on the floor, and yeah. like who do you put him over? Like Siakam or or uh, Kemba Walker would probably be your two top. Uh, candidates there you're going to be playing Embiid and you're going to be playing Giannis but even then like it's it's arguable it's not like this was some obvious decision although like did we ever confirm that Jimmy Butler not showing up for his post-game availability was because he didn't play in the fourth quarter yeah I didn't see a follow-up to that uh, yeah. I definitely saw the photo of of all the reporters waiting for him um, I can't I can't wait until if there's a Raptors heat series that will the the hell Jimmy Butler will unleash on Nick Nurse before that series starts will uh, be great. If that was the case, maybe he just had a flight to catch. <laughs> who knows? Yeah, who knows? But it wouldn't be out of the realm of uh, given Jimmy's history. Um, I think I walked away actually from the weekend as as a what did you call me the chief propagandist? Yes. Um, um, the one fear I have um, is Kyle, uh, Jimmy, and Giannis being in in Miami in two yeah. years. 
Yeah. That's possible. Um, it's possible. Kyle and yeah. Jimmy Butler are wired very similarly. Um, and the Heat are certainly making a push to uh, to get uh, Giannis and to create space. Everything they've done up into and including not signing Danilo Gallinari to, uh, to an extension, therefore not getting him in the trade, as was reported by many outlets uh, at the trade deadline, points to them prioritizing uh, 2021 and Giannis. And you know Pat Riley, if he thinks he can, is, as long as he thinks he can get a seat at the table with somebody, he thinks he can get them in. So that's, and Miami has a lot to offer, you might have heard. Yeah, and I love um, I love the idea of just Pat Riley always having like all his championship rings in like a fanny pack. Yeah. Because everybody's um, just all like, he always like, oh, he's just going to throw all the rings on the table. And, you know, yeah. sometimes it does work. Yeah, uh, I mean, it it has happened, so it could happen again. Um, so before we started recording this, and we're recording this Wednesday evening, just before the Raptors' first practice post-All-Star game break, I suspect Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry won't be there. But uh, anyway, this will all be outdated when you hear it. I went back and watched the introductions from the 2016 All-Star game because I remember Drake being a part of it, and he was just to sort of introduce that the starters were going to be announced. And then Herbie introduced the starters and then Drake threw like a, this is the best game and with the best players in the best city in the world on the end of it. He probably did about 30 seconds of talking. Uh, That's not what happened in Chicago. As we alluded to common rhyming, uh, you know, uh, With the with what I thought were like really cool starting intros, there was also the I don't know if you saw it. Uh, you probably I don't know if they played it uh, at the United Center, but they had the Chicago specific introduction to the TNT broadcast that featured Common and Chance the Rapper and Obama and Isaiah Thomas and Dwayne Wade talking about basketball in Chicago with a you know sort of an extended. Uh, you know, bit on Michael Jordan and, and Kobe Bryant, Kobe, who doesn't really have Chicago ties, but we will, um, you know, obviously a lot of the the evening was focused on him. And then they had an actual Chicago artist, Chance the Rapper, perform at halftime. Uh, you might remember Sting performing at Tor- <laughs> during the Toronto All-Star time. Uh, and like the thing about the Toronto All-Star game is it was like really the Canadian All-Star game. So like, even if you couldn't find a great artist from Toronto, even if Drake didn't want to do it, like... You can find any number, you know, some Bieber-led thing or Bieber and Alicia Cara or, or uh, maybe this was before Alessia Cara was big, but uh, I don't know. My Alessia, <laughs> my Alessia Cara, Cara timeline is not up at the moment and I'm not going to open it. But you could have put something cool together representing Toronto and Canada for the halftime. Uh, I mean, A, did you enjoy what they did in Chicago? And B, what the hell? Yeah, no, I thought, it, you know, I was really impressed by the entertainment aspect of it because so much of all-star is about you know putting your city on right and chicago Mm -hmm. obviously has such a rich history um in basketball as you know common was able to help illustrate you know one of the coolest moments was when they cut to Dwayne wade when when he was rapping about him in the intro and you could literally see Dwayne like wiping a tear from his eye like i thought those moments were super cool um and you know chance the rapper you know i I think if this all-star game was maybe three years ago um, even two years ago, it might have been Kanye's show. Yeah. Um, but you know, 
He's uh he's gone a little. He bit was there. Too. He was there. Yeah, he was he there, was but the he's you know barely human. It appears, yeah. but you know he's gotten a little <laughs> bit too problematic. Um, um, I think to headline anything, but yeah, you know I just couldn't stop thinking about comparing it to, to Toronto. Toronto had a great All Star game in terms of what happened in the events, right? Like the Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon yes. dunk contest, and obviously that was Kobe's last game, last All Star appearance, and all of that was great. But you know the entertainment aspect, like you said, Sting. And I honestly don't remember anything else. Like, you know, I'll, Drake, I'll tell Drake. you why why I remember who performed on Saturday night. Yeah, because after the you you alluded to it, great Saturday night. Not only did um, did Zach Levine beat Aaron Gordon and in, in maybe the best dunk contest ever, you had Clay Thompson beating uh, Steph Curry in the finals of the three point contest. See, see, yeah, yeah. Co- I don't even remember. I don't even remember that. It yeah. was great. Like it was legitimately mm. great. And even in even the skills contest, I think it was the year they did like a big division and a small division, and like Carl Anthony Towns ended up winning, and like all the big men mobbed him for uh, like representing the big men. Uh, so that that was like fun in like the one way in which the skills competition might not be terrible. Um, and, and so after all that, we walked into the interview room where Levine and Gordon uh, was being interviewed. And you said, and I quote, what a performance by Walk the Moon. <laughs> <laughs> I specifically remember that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I still think about that very frequently. They played their hit, Shut Up and Dance With Me. Uh, Great was, arena song, by the way. Uh, yeah. top, top we still, 15 we still, arena bang. We still yeah. hear it a lot. Um, I love it. Which I love is, that song. You know, like it's it's not at like Jennifer Lopez's "Let's Get Loud" yet as like mm-hmm. a survivor, uh, but if it's still playing in five years, we have to give Walk the Moon some serious credit. Um, <laughs> but but as yeah, like t- Toronto, it was, and who knows how much of c- the control that the NBA has over this versus the organizing committee and the franchise itself. But uh, you know. It was great for the events, but you didn't get a feel of the city in the same way that, you know, everything I saw from the All-Star game really lent itself to Chicago. Yeah, and maybe if the entertainment aspects were better in Toronto, um, the main talking point wouldn't have been the weather. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Before we move on to the Raptors uh, and the second half, or not the second half, but the stretch drive, I guess we can call it, um, were there any, like... Scenes doesn't have to be Raptor specific. Any like ridiculous scrum moment? Any you know sort of aside that will stick out for you that maybe people didn't see on TV? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think because you know as as cool as it is to be an All Star, I'm sure you know like the media scrums and things like that. It's just it's a terrible. Chaos. It's terrible. It's 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 <laughs> chaos. You know the one thing I came away with you know Raptor specific. Um, uh, I think Pascal just was in a really good mood all weekend and really seemed to just really soak it in and really enjoy himself in terms of just on the court, off the court. You know, after the skills competition, he was in a really good mood, joking about how Kyle had said early in the day that he was going to bet on him to win the skills. Um, and it's uh, for me, it's always cool to see the first time guys yeah. go through it. And just, just you know, it's kind of like a graduation into like the elite of the NBA, right? Like, um, you know, we're so familiar with Pascal's story and his rise that, you know, I think sometimes we kind of forget just like how remarkable it is that he he's an all star starter. Um, like it's still kind of ridiculous to think about. So that's the main thing for me. And, you know, Kyle had his kids with him for his postgame scrum after the game on Sunday. I'm sure many people saw. Um, I thought that was super cool, too. You know, for the older guys, it's about kind of giving back and having their family there, too. 
And, um, you know, the best moment, honestly, I mean, you saw it live on TV, too, was when uh, they picked Taco Falls out of the crowd um, <laughs> to, to, to dunk. Like, um, and, and Giannis, you know, there's always one guy on All-Star uh, Saturday who's having the best time courtside. And I think Giannis won that award on, yeah. on Saturday. And yeah, please, like no, I... more cele- no more celebrities as a tangent. No more celebrities for, for the slam dunk uh, judges. It, it makes zero sense to me. Yeah, I think... What they need to do is, first of all, have the judges sitting separately. Um, yes. yes. Like, like, just so you don't... Like, the excuse for Dwayne Wade, for, for them not ending up tied, is they had a conspiracy to have it tied. <laughs> like, that's like, it's like everybody's mad at Dwayne Wade, and we're talking about, oh, so we wanted the conspiracy <laughs> to happen. <laughs> that way, never... Well, was that... I, I mean, was I, that what, was an Ernst, Ernst and Young accountant not available to be there? Like, I don't know. On. You're the expert in that field, I, I believe. <laughs> um, but, uh, like, so I, I don't take the slab dunk contest that seriously. I didn't think, like, like my thoughts on it were that Aaron Gordon's fifth dunk was clearly better, or whatever the final dunk was. Aaron yeah. Gordon's was better than uh, than oh my Derek Jones, and and should have won on the strength of that. Overall, I thought they were like both really great and sort of equals. So I don't care that much. That beyond my usual not caring about things like the slam dunk contest, <laughs> I, I I like don't think it's some grave injustice that Aaron Gordon didn't win. But if you're going to make this a thing and take it somewhat seriously, you might as well do something to try and achieve actual objectivity and neutrality. And like they put what, like Dwayne Wade was this guy's teammate last year. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, 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 I'm with you about the slam dunk, like not taking it seriously, but I only take it. I only took it seriously this year because Aaron Gordon took it seriously. Yeah. And Aaron Gordon really wanted it. And he sounded like he sounded like like the Buffalo Bills had just lost to like in the Super Bowl for the fourth straight time after the game. <laughs> like after the dunk contest. Like he was distraught. He really wanted this and he deserved it. Yeah. Um like like whether you think that or not, it certainly wasn't done like the the winner was not a result of some pure process, whether yes. you think he should have won or not. And yes. and he was taking it very seriously and like there's whatever the cash prize is for winning, plus the ancillary benefits of winning the slam dunk contest, which probably help your bottom line in, in many ways. And there's just the pride of winning. And you could see that in, in Aaron Gordon's press conference. I read the transcript and, uh, he says he's not competing anymore. And he's some, he really dropped some, he was not happy with a lot of people and, and justifiably so. It's, it's a silly process. And when guys take it seriously and, and that silliness is exposed as it, it it shows itself to be less than ideal. Let's get to the games that matter, though. Um, before we get into the second half, very quickly, what has been your favorite off-court subplot of this joy of a Raptors team this year? Oh, there's been there's been so much. You know, my favorite, I guess, recency bias, but the fact that. Everyone in Toronto has complained, and we talked about this earlier for years, about not getting enough coverage in the U.S. and in American media, even when the team won. And little did we know, all we needed was one of our players to wear a really long scarf. Yes. Um, you know, the minute Serge and, and OG had their back and forth thing about the scarf, and Serge showed up in his massive scarf 
um then it caught on like kendrick perkins you know wore a scarf on espn um jared dudley was tweeting about it it became like the number one story in like nba culture for like two days um that's that that's my that's one of my favorites but honestly it's been too many there's it's been a very enjoyable season um yeah this has been like i I think i've mentioned this a few times on the podcast i was dreading this season just because i couldn't imagine a way in which it would live up to like the roller coaster ride that was last year and sort of the way it ended is obviously a dream for fans and it was super dramatic at any number of points and i'm like oh we're going to go back to the you know regular season and and trying to win uh we being the raptors not my team uh but i'm going to go back to covering this team that's you know worried about playoff seating and and all the things we're about to talk about but it actually like it does seem like it matters just because of the way this team is, you know, not only exceeding expectations, but how they're doing it like with, you know, with the injuries, but also just the pure effort on a night to night base night to night basis. Has it sort of seemed the same way to you? I don't know if you had my, my misgivings before the season, but the importance of the regular season, something like that Kawhi Leonard seemed like he probably took with him uh, away. Like it, it seems like it's back a bit to me. Yeah, no, I'm like 100% with you. I think, you know, however many days after the Raptors won the championship, you know, having the air of that, you know, celebration sucked out of them by Kawhi Leonard leaving. And it wasn't even the day that Kawhi left. It was like, oh, the minute they won the championship, a few days later, they had to turn their attention to this whole Kawhi thing. And, you know, there's very little time, just a natural process to just celebrate and enjoy the whole summer. And that took the air out of it, I feel like, a little bit in the summer. And, like, it feels so long ago, opening night against New Orleans, when I think everyone was wondering, like, man, how are the Raptors going to get through the season with, like, maybe six, seven capable NBA guys? And, you know, could you have imagined if, like, someone told you that evening that the Raptors were going to deal with this many injuries? You know, you would have thought they would be out of the playoffs by now. And, you know, instead, like nothing's really hurt them. Um, It seems like they just have uh, a system in place and the organization is at a level where they can sustain these things. And, you know, I I think last year was was the best season, obviously, but this has been um, a lot more fun. The regular season was not fun last season. No, it was just like, (laughs) how is Kawhi feeling uh, both mentally and physically? Do the other players hate him because he takes <laughs> like one of every four games off? Uh, and it was just that, essentially. And are they good enough? And was this all a waste of time? And, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. All of, like, all, of, all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this year, it's just like, what crazy thing's going to happen next? And uh, the answer, at least once, was scarves. Scarves were going to happen next. The Raptors have 27 games left. Um, and they're 40 and 15 heading into those final 27. Only one and a half games up, one win in the loss, co- or one loss, one fewer loss than uh, the Celtics. Uh, that figures to be a battle uh, for third. Miami is, I, I believe, four losses behind Toronto and three and a half. So not, you know, the Heat have the, the tiebreaker with the Raptors. So it's not impossible that they should, they would, catch up. I believe they have one of the easier schedules left, but for right now, it looks like the Raptors and the Celtics are going to battle for that number two seed. Um, they The Raptors start the 
this stretch of play with their longest homestand of the year, Phoenix on Friday, Indiana on Sunday, Milwaukee on Tuesday, and then Charlotte a week from Friday. And they, we should find out on Wednesday or Thursday, Thursday how close Marc Gasol is to being back. He strained his hamstring for the second time earlier in the month. Norm Powell broke his finger on February 1st. That usually comes with a four to six week uh, layoff. So we're looking at the end of February, beginning of March for his return and might coincide with the Raptors' long West Coast road trip, which, is, which are always nerve-wracking at this time of year. Um what are you looking forward to in, in this uh, final quarter, final third of the Raptors season? Yeah, you know, it's probably an obvious answer, but, you know, I'm, I just want them to have a sustained stretch of playing with the full complement of players. And like you mentioned, that probably won't happen. You know, the earliest it'll happen is probably in, in early March. But at the very least, you know, you would knock on wood and think that hopefully when Norm comes back and, and Mark before him, that you know, no other kind of significant injuries happen to the core group, and that for the final six weeks of of the regular season, they can really start honing in and, and getting ready for the playoffs. You know, as fun as some of these fringe players have stepped up and performed. You know, we all know come playoff time, it's going to be you know eight, maybe nine guys. So we'd like to see them, and, and you know, the Raptors obviously the, taking nothing away from that 15 game win streak. Um, there was not a lot of stiff competition in there. And, you know, I still remember when they had that tough stretch, um, I believe, in early December. Yeah. Where they kind of hit rock bottom. I think the rock bottom was when the Clippers just came in and just blew them out yeah. uh, on Kawhi night. You know, that wasn't a very um, encouraging stretch when they had to play against some better competition. So I'd like to see the full complementary of players versus, you know, some of the better competition that's coming just so we can maybe get a few more looks at how this team might potentially look like in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the competition. Uh, the Raptors, I believe, have the 11th or 12th hardest schedule just in terms of remaining opponents and win percentage left. But you're going to see the Milwaukee Bucks three times. You have a five-game West Coast trip that is Denver, Phoenix, Golden State, Sacramento, and Utah. So that's not the roughest stretch like you know phoenix golden state and and sacramento are certainly all games you would expect the raptors to be favored in although it's possible i guess that steph curry is back by march 5th um which would be something knowing the raptors that will be his first game back um <laughs> and I, I think kobe came back from his achilles injury against the raptors too and then the raptors won that game um <laughs> Anyway, great moments in Raptors history. And then there will be an all-important, uh, well, maybe not all-important, but a, a game against the Boston Celtics on March 20th. Point is, a lot of good competition. There won't be any stretches that are, are as easy as the one we just saw. I've always, I meant to ask you during that streak, were, were you, was any part of you disappointed? You predicted, for the people who don't know, you predicted a 12-game winning streak, which would have been a franchise record. When it actually went to 13, I believe, they when they won in Indiana, were you a bit disappointed? No, no. So, you know, um, I, I, I wanted to just keep going. I think I re-predicted that they would get to 20. 
but it was but it was a, the second one was an unofficial prediction like it was already flying a little too close to the sun yeah um uh, my favorite part about the 12 game win streak i mean first of all i'm not gonna take that much credit for it because i make those outlandish outlandish predictions almost every other yes. week and yeah. nobody you, you point out your, you point out your wins <laughs> the losses are not remembered yeah yeah nobody nobody remembers all those all the other ridiculous predictions i had no idea though that 12 was gonna be uh setting the franchise record when yeah. i first did it so it was kind of cool i guess to, yeah, it just seemed reasonable. <laughs> looking at the schedule, it seemed reasonable. It seemed reasonable, but it was cool looking back, yeah. you know, to pat myself on the back, being like, wow, I predicted something that had never happened in Raptors history. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I wanted them to keep going, and I was really bummed out. I was expecting some kind of dramatic finish, you know, when they finally lost the game, but, you yeah. know, they just, it was just a real dud in Brooklyn. Like, there was no... Yeah, I kept on waiting for them to make a comeback in that game, just because it has been so... like, And they'd won in so many different ways. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, they'd mm-hmm. put together so many types of different wins that it was like i don't care if they're losing by 10 for like three straight quarters and like the lead's not going up or down meaningfully like some at some point like van vliet or larry's gonna catch fire it just didn't happen but uh losses happen uh which brings me to another thing the raptors haven't done in franchise history 60 wins. They got to a max of 59 uh, two seasons ago, 58 last year. They'd have to go 20 and 7 down the stretch. That's 740 basketball. Uh, I believe they're at 727 for the season. Uh, knowing what you know about the schedule, what I what I just read off to you, do you think it happens? I think they'll probably, I mean, I think they'll probably end up at like 57, 58. Yeah. Um, it feels like a bit of a stretch um for them to get to 60 at this point especially with the road trip and some of the harder game harder games you know they would de- they would probably they would need to go on another long win streak i think yeah um, an eight an eight nine game win streak and then maybe you need to go just like nine and six to end the season um and then they might be locked into a number two or number three seed at some point in the last week of the season so that might take away a couple wins too so. yeah like like it does seem like they'll have something to play for for quite a bit it would be hard like unless major injuries hit one way or the other for i think for the raptors or celtics to pull away from sure. from one another the celtics have a, a similarly difficult schedule ahead of them complete with a western conference road trip as well uh and two games against the bucks so it's pretty similar so you know, it seems to be like the safe bet is the two, three coming down to, you know, the last week at least, but we will see. Uh, final question for today, Alex, does, does your brand have a dream buyout candidate for the Raptors? <laughs> uh, I mean, last year obviously went as well as possible for your brand. Um, I'm quickly trying to scan to see if there's any other Asians that might be yeah, available. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, oh, uh, man. I can't think of anything. I really wanted them to trade for JJ Reddick so we, we would have two Matt Thomases. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Matt Thomas uh, past. Matt Thomas yeah, past. Exactly. And Matt Thomas future. <laughs> yeah, like a looper situation. Yeah. Um, there's really not anyone out there right now. Like, are yeah. there. What are the attractive names right now? Oh, I don't know. Um, like all I can think of that's like really realistic, not to bring it into a realistic zone, uh, yeah. but I, I have to do that sometimes is like, maybe they can get somebody like, like maybe Biombo comes available and he can be right. their third center and like right. walking emoji on the bench, you know, like, yeah, yeah. But- my brand would be, it would be Adam Sandler. if you're asking for my brand it would be adam sandler and there's footage of him playing pickup ball and you know parts of the internet have argued that he's better than rajon rondo so 
Um, <laughs> check the footage. Check the footage. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that doesn't happen. He's probably like between now and April, he's probably shooting like four Netflix movies to make up for the lost time on Uncut Gems uh, for his one credibility reach that didn't even pay off in an Oscar nomination. It, it didn't pay off, but um, it's paid off in content. And um, I promise anyone who's familiar um, with my Twitter content that I'll watch at least one new movie this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Alex, uh, we appreciate your time. His work can be found at uh, Stephen underscore LeBron. Is that Twitter? Anything Anything you want to plug in particular? Um, no, just, uh, yeah, check out my work. You know, Sean Woodley and I, uh, we co-wrote a uh, championship book called We the Champs with a forward from Jack Armstrong, um, which came out and was a bestseller after the championship last summer. I believe it's still available, you know, anywhere you want to buy books at retailers or online. So, you know, I think it's a nice, um, it's a cool like coffee table book, um, um, you know, as a gift. If you know a Raptors fan or if you're a Raptors fan yourself, you know, obviously you've listened to this point. Um, so, yeah, um, make sure to, uh, you know, look out for that if you're interested. Uh Definitely do that. Uh, it was always a delight seeing you guys in the Globe and Mail top 10. Did did your parents cut out like the, from the Globe and Mail top 10 on each Saturday your name <laughs> with uh, with Woodley's or did they not? Did they not know this was happening? They they. I think I sent them some screenshots, but yeah. um, my parents still don't have any idea what I do, but um, yeah. hopefully we'll, uh, we'll rectify that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, at The Athletic, Blake and I will be back on the beat uh, starting Friday against Phoenix. Uh, hopefully you're a member of The Athletic. If not, uh, not a member. You're not a, it's not a club. Hopefully you're a subscriber to The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash we the six, the number six, not S-I-X, not six I-X, just the digit six. Um, we'll get you 40% off if you're not yet a subscriber. Uh, Alex. Thanks so much for uh, filling the void. And it was uh, great to talk to you about all things Raptors and All-Star. Thank you, Eric, for having me on. It was a pleasure. Of course. See ya.